You're listening to a podcast from the Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference. The seventh annual Tudor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference took place at NUI Galway in August 2017. The conference was generously supported by the College of Arts, Social Sciences and Celtic Studies at NUI Galway, the School of Humanities at NUI Galway, the Moore Institute at NUI Galway, the Disciplines of History and English at NUI Galway, the Women's History Association of Ireland and Marsh's Library. As in previous years, the majority of papers were recorded for podcasting by Real Smart Media, in association with UCD's History Hub. There are now more than 180 podcasts from previous Tudor and Stuart Ireland conferences freely available. To access this archive, go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts or visit tudorstuartireland.com. In this episode, a recording of a paper by Matthew McGinty from NUI Galway. His paper was entitled you know the nature of the Irish, how easily they are divided. Tanistry, primogenitor, and divided clans. In November 1598, Sir Robert Cecil wrote to Sir Thomas Norris and reminded him, quote, you know the nature of the Irish, how easily they are divided. When examining the socio-political makeup of Gaelic Ireland, the ease with which the Irish could be divided is striking. Tanistry was one of the reasons why the Irish could be easily divided, because it created bitter rivalries within clans, This presentation will show how Tanishree caused these bitter rivalries, as well as show how the introduction primogenitor further exacerbated the divisions within clans. First, though, a brief explanation of Tanishree is needed. Tanishree refers to the system that was used in Gaelic Ireland to deal with the issue of succession. This system differed from primogenitor in that the eldest son was not guaranteed to succeed his father as chieftain of the clan. Rather, in its simplest form, Tanistry was supposed to work as thus. A chieftain's successor was elected by the clan's followers at an assembly, and the election of a chieftain's successor should have taken place while the current chieftain was alive and ruling, and the designated heir apparent was known as the Tanisha. Although it must be noted that sometimes the election of a successor could take place after the death of the current chieftain. According to Edmund Spencer, the election of a Tanisha should have taken place at the same time as the inauguration of a new chieftain. And Catherine Sims has pointed out that that evidence from the Irish Annals do show that this did indeed happen. This may have been the preferred or ideal way to proceed, but with the possibility of Atanasha dying before the chieftain or some other changed circumstances occurring, the reality was the pointing of Atanasha could happen at any time. Eligibility for the position position of Atanasha is supposed to be restricted to the members of the clan's Derafina which comprise of descendants of a common ancestor within four generations. Therefore, anyone whose great-grandfather was a chieftain could theoretically be elected Tanisha. This meant that there was a large number of potential candidates for the position of Tanisha, especially as those who were of illegitimate birth were not prohibited from becoming a clan chieftain. A reference in the Annals of Ulster about the Battle of Atherai in 1316 gives a sense of the large number, number of eligible candidates for the position of Tanisha or chieftain. In the battle, the chieftain of the O'Kellys was killed, along with 28 other O'Kellys, all of whom were eligible to be chieftain. The election of the MacWilliam Burke in 1595 further conveys how numerous the candidates for the chieftainship could be. Eight contenders arrived at the traditional inauguration site of the MacWilliam Burkes, all hoping to be elected the new chieftain. The names in bold are all the candidates. Those on bold are all were the electorate on the day. Under Tanishri, the electorate were supposed to pick as Tanisha, the member of the Durafina, who was the eldest and worthiest. Being the strongest and having the largest following in army was an important component 
the criteria used to determine who was the worthiest. The importance, place, and the size and strength of a contender's following was noted by Sir John Davies. He wrote that the Irish usually chose a Chanisha, the claimant who had the most, quote, swordsmen and followers depending on them, end quote. Dovalak McFurbisha, a mid-17th century genealogist, genealogist, also mentioned the successor should be he that possesses the most, quote, clients and power, end quote. A poem by Tag Dog uh, Dahl O'Higgins and written for Richard Burke also highlights the emphasis placed on the number of followers and soldiers a claimant has. O'Higgins claimed that Richard was the most worthy because he has, quote, the most numerous household and the largest number of veterans of battle, end quote. Another criterion cited as being an important deciding factor in determining who was the worthiest was the frequency of a claimant's military activity. John Davies and Fines Morrison both mentioned that the Irish he chose a successor, the claimant who was most active militarily. The preference for selecting the claimant who's most energetic in military matters resulted from the need to pick as Tanisha the clan member who was most valiant, valiant and capable of defending the clan's lordship and raiding enemies. The importance of a chieftain possessing these attributes is reflected in bardic poetry, as chieftains were praised for having such traits or ridiculed in satires for lack, for lack of them. For example, Catherine Sims pointed out that in satires, chieftains were accused of cowardice because, quote, to accuse a king of cowardice is, in effect, to brand him as unfit for kingship, end quote. Sir Thomas Cusack's comment about the people of Chiconnell turning against Calvick O'Donnell suggests that this was more than just fanciful poetry and had real-world implications. Cusack stated that Calvick's, quote, country do not love him and their chief cause is that he hath nor never had activity nor manhood, end quote. Thus, it was necessary to engage regularly in military exploits to, dis- to display one's prowess and manhood, and in turn, one's suitability to lead and defend the clan. The need for a capable, brave, and tested military leader as chieftain also helps to explain the dislike for primogenitor and the preference for electing as the Tanisha, the most senior member of the clan. Looking to the eldest of the clan would ensure that their Tanisha and eventual chieftain had plenty of military experience and could therefore defend the clan's lands. Edmund Spencer makes this point when discussing the reasoning behind the Gaelic Irish's predilection for electing the most senior member of the clan. Spencer writes that a young son should not succeed his father because it was thought that he would, quote, be unable to defend his right or withstand the force of a foreigner. And so they do appoint the eldest of the kin to have this signory that he is commonly a man of stronger years and better experience to maintain his inheritance and to defend the country. End quote. As a result of this thinking, usually a brother, uncle, or cousin of the chieftain was chosen to be Tanisha. Edmund Campion echoed Spencer's sentiments and stated that the Irish he chose as a successor of the chieftain's quote, brother, nephew, or cousin, who is eldest and most valiant, for the child be oftentimes left in nonage and otherwise young and unskilled, were never able to defend his patrimony. End quote. Jeffrey Keaton defended the practice of Tanishery and his preference for the old, for older clan chieftains because it made certain that an efficient and experienced man who could defend his clan's lordship would be chieftain rather than a youth who could not defend his territory. On paper, Tanishery should have produced a smooth transition from one leader to the next because when a chieftain died, he would simply be replaced by his Tanishya and a new Tanishya appointed. However, succession from one chieftain to another was anything but smooth and Richard Hadzor, an old English lawyer, claimed that Tanishery caused, quote, much bloodshed and rebellion by contention for the signory, end quote. This observation is more reflective of the truth. Why did Tanishree cause so much bloodshed and discord? Firstly, the fundamental concept of Tanishree, the electing of the eldest and worthiest, was deeply flawed, as there could always be the problem 
of the elders of the clan not being deemed the worthiest. In the 16th and 17th century, there was not a consensus among the Irish about what should be given more weight, seniority or worthiness when electing a new tanager or chieftain. This lack of consensus is exhibited in an episode known as the Contention of the Bards. The contention was an argument between southern and northern poets about which half of the country was superior, and a major aspect of the debate centred around the mythical brothers Erevon and Ever. These brothers were part of an invasion force that had conquered Ireland, and the Irish believed that they were their progenitors. After the successful conquest of Ireland, the island was divided between the brothers. Ever obtained the southern portion of Ireland, and the southern poets were his descendants, while Erevon got the north of the island, and the northern poets were his progenies. However, there was a dispute between the southern and northern, southern and northern poets about this division. The southern poets claimed that Ever had, had headed the invasion force following the drowning of Don, the leader of the expedition and elder brother of the two men. Once Ireland was conquered, the southern poets believed that Ever gave his brother the lesser half of Ireland, the northern half. The southern poets justified these claims by pointing to the fact that Ever was the elder brother and the elder always becomes comes before the junior, so he must have been in command of the invaders and in a position to give his younger brother the northern half of Ireland. Tag McBrody argues this case in his poems in the contention. He maintained that Ifer must have been leader of, the leader of the invaders and given his brother the north of Ireland because, quote, elders before others were always chosen afterwards by middle sons in the secret era to rule the tribe, end quote. These comments indicate that for McBrody, seniority was paramount when determining who the new chieftain should be. However, the Northern Poets dismissed the importance of seniority, and Lugga O'Cleary argued that, quote, if it be the younger who is perfect in deeds, he is chosen for the throne, end quote. O'Cleary was thus placing more importance on the new chieftain being capable or the worthiest rather than his age. To support his argument, O'Cleary maintained that on many occasions, quote, the younger did take precedence over the elder in the law of Mill's race, end quote. Then Ivor being the, Ifer being the eldest did not mean that he was automatically entitled to be leader of the invaders. Rather, O'Cleary contended that following the conquest, there was a dispute between the brothers over the kingship of Ireland, and the younger brother acted as an arbitrator between the two, and he decided that though Erevon was the younger, he should be in place of the elder. So it was Erevon that had given for the south of Ireland to enjoy. What the contention really highlights is that the reality of the right of the elders to succeed was that when it was convenient, seniority would be put, at, put forward as the as decisive factor that decided who should be tanished or achieved. And when the right of the elders to succeed was problematic for a claimant, the importance of it would be disregarded or disparaged. This is why you can have Owen O'Sullivan in 1587 arguing that he, as the eldest of the eligible candidates, should have possession of the, his clan's lordship his tanishry decrees that the eldest member of the clan should be chieftain and his tanishry should be the next oldest, while also having Shay O'Neill became chieftain of the O'Neills at the relatively young age of 29, make no reference to seniority. Instead, he claimed that according to tanishry, it was the ablest and worthiest of the clan that was chosen to be chieftain. The mutable attitude towards seniority was one of the reasons why tanishry caused divisions, because it meant that the eldest eligible candidate, who maintained that he was the rightful chieftain due to his seniority, could be challenged by a younger claimant who believed he was the worthiest. This would have consequently created a vision in the clan. The concept of being the worthiest as a requirement for the position of chieftain or tanisha was too problematic and led to strife. 
Conceivably, any member in the large Dura with some semblance of power and ability could believe themselves the worthiest and lay claim to the position of chieftain, thus making quarrels between numerous clan members possible. Hugh Collier recognised this problem with Tanishri and wrote, quote, Thus every one of the family being as likely to be the best as another would strive to advance their fortunes above the rest, end quote. The succession issue in Ireland was further was even more complex and quarrelsome because there were two types of succession law competing with each other. The Tudor government attempted to introduce primogeniture into Ireland, and one way the government tried to establish it was through surrender and regrant arrangements. Surrender and regrant entailed the chieftain surrendering his lordship to the government, which would then be given back to him with letters patent confirming his ownership of the said lordship. When he received back his lordship, he would have to accept certain conditions which aimed to eradicate Gaelic customs and replace them with English laws. Therefore, these surrender and regrant arrangements outlawed Gaelic customs like Tanistry and prescribed that English ones such as the practice of primogeniture should be observed. When a chieftain who availed of a surrender and regrant arrangement died, his son could point to his father's letters patent and the practice of primogeniture as proof that he should inherit his father's land. This could bring him into conflict with those in the clan using Tanistry to promote their claims to the clan's lordship. Three-way dispute over the O'Reilly lordship in the 1580s demonstrates how Tanistry, as well as the introduction of primogeniture, could lead to a divided clan. 1583, Hugh O'Reilly died, and he had surrendered his lordship in 1568, so his eldest son Shane used primogeniture to argue that he was a rightful heir to the O'Reilly lordship. His uncle Edmund used Tanistry and its stipula- alleged stipulation that the eldest of the clan was, was entitled to succeed to further his candidacy for the lordship. Philip, a younger brother of uh, Shane, could also use Tanistry and argue that he was the strongest and worthiest and so should succeed his father instead of his older brother and uncle. This is a line of reasoning in a poem written for Philip sometime after his father's death and while the debate over who should succeed him was still being fought. The poem argues that a chieftain, quote, is not chosen for his age. Virtue is the true measure of the claim. Whoever may come to choose a king, it is deeds that must determine the choice, end quote. The poem then goes on to list Philip's good qualities and achievements, especially those of a military nature, to demonstrate that Philip had displayed that he has the virtues needed to be chieftain. Successor's disputes however, were, however, not often resolved by right or precedent. Instead, violence was often used to settle the issue, and Tag O'Donnell's description of how his predecessors usually became clan chieftain illustrates this. O'Donnell stated that, quote, often it came to pass that he that obtained the name of O'Donnell was who could win the same by stronger hand and force of arms, end quote. Therefore, whenever a chieftain died, whoever the Tanisha was, was frequently rendered moot, and instead an eternal clan war over the chieftainship ensued, and given the large number of eligible candidates, there could be numerous factions. For example, when the O'Carroll chieftain died in 1600, it was said that, quote, four of the O'Carrolls are in competition for the lordship of that country, wherein before the question be decided, it will cost much blood, end quote. Whoever emerged as victor of the clan war usually became chieftain, but that did not end the dispute. Rather, those who lost sight on the chieftainship would attempt to overthrow the chieftain if an opportunity arose. So a chieftain, as Campion observed, kept, quote, his patrimony no longer than he can hold it by force of arms, end quote. Clearly the, position of Tanisha, or clearly, the position of chieftain was precarious and the clan and clans politically very unstable. There could be a, regi- a regime change at any time. The O'Rourke, the O'Rourke lordship between 1559 and 1566 demonstrates this. 
Brian Balak was disposed by was deposed by his son Tag. Tag also imprisoned his brother and rival Owen, who was later killed in an escape attempt. Tag drowned, and then his his father retook the team ship. Two years later, Brian dies and is replaced by his son Hugh, who t- then two years later was murdered by his brother, believed to be r- rumored to have been murdered by his brother Brian. But another Hugh boy, another brother of uh, Brian, using the help of Shane O'Neill, was able to take the championship. But two years later, Brian, using his O'Donnell allies, then killed Hugh Boy and then eventually took over the championship. So that's four or five changes in chieftain in a relatively short period, and some of them violent. The killings that occurred during these six attributes were not quickly forgotten leading to violent and bitter rivalries between different branches of a clan that continued from one generation to the next. Richard Stanners noted how murders could create long-lasting, blood, long-lasting bloody feuds and get excited. He stated that it was rare that the Irish, quote, lay their hatred to rest, especially if one of their kinsmen is killed, because they consider it wise to make war on the living on behalf of the dead, end quote. While Stanners' description of Gaelic society was somewhat exaggerated and generalised, the O'Neill... The O'Neills and the rivalry between half-brothers Shane and Matthew demonstrates how the killings of the past were not quickly forgotten and, and that succession disputes could continue across generations. The brother's father, Con, was chieftain of the O'Neills, but he surrendered his lordship and was created Earl of Tyrone in 1542. Con's eldest son, Matthew, was designated his father's successor and made Baron of Dungannon. Shane was only a boy at the time, but when he grew older, he looked to succeed his father, who he vied with Matthew and his father Con for the only lordship. Shane's men assassinated Matthew in 1558, which cleared Shane's path to become chieftain, and he did so the following year when his father died. Shane and Matthew's sons continued the rivalry over the only lordship. Hugh O'Neill, the second of Tyrone, was head of Matthew's branch, and Shane's large brood, known as the McShanes, had a multi-headed approach with none of the sons emerging as leader. Hugh, the McShanes, and Turlock O'Neill, the the O'Neill chieftain spent the 1570s, 80s and early 90s fighting with each other over the O'Neill lordship. By 1594, Hugh had come out on top. He had hanged one of Shane's sons and imprisoned four of them. Turlock Lennox O'Neill was relegated to a figurehead, technically still chieftain, but his power greatly diminished and Hugh O'Neill de facto chieftain. When Turlock died in 1595, the the powerful Hugh O'Neill faced no opposition and was inaugurated as chieftain of the O'Neills. In the 17th century, even another generation in exile could not abate the bitterness between the two families. Philip McShane O'Neill, a grandson of Shane, and Colonel John O'Neill, son of Hugh O'Neill, were both serving in the Spanish army in the Netherlands, but tensions persisted because this generation did not forget nor forgive the previous murders and bad blood. Philip complained that upon his arrival in the Netherlands in 1622, he found that John was hostile to him, because John held a grudge against him because of the murder of his grandfather by Shane O'Neill, and Philip's father and uncles, assisting the crown against Hugh O'Neill, both before and at the end of the Nine Years' War, following their escape from Hugh O'Neill's imprisonment. Philip further complained that, his, that John's uncle, Owen Rowe, imprisoned him for a week as revenge for his forefather's actions. Philip was so disillusioned with his treatment at the hands of John and his relatives that he feigned an illness and got permission from the Spanish to leave the Netherlands. In conclusion, Tanistry resulted in extremely divided clans, it created a situation where a large number of the clan could consider themselves entitled to be chieftain. The introduction of primogeniture further exacerbated the situation because it 
give clan members another avenue to forward their claim and bring into and bring them into conflict with those in the clan using tanistry. Force was uh, often the preferred method used to resolve succession disputes. The killings that resulted from the succession disputes were not quickly forgotten, so clans consisted of different kin groups, some of whom had been bitter enemies for generations. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this Tudor and Stuart Ireland conference podcast. If you would like to access the archive of more than 180 podcasts from previous Tudor and Stuart Ireland conferences, please go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts. All podcasts are freely available on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on the annual Tudor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference, visit the conference website at tudorstuartireland.com.